0: Last week I talked to you, I thought, there are times you just feel like you're in a time warp, or you're trying to figure out, where am I? And I made the mistake this week, I was, my radio station, most of you probably heard me say this before, I, I either listen to, AM normally is just sports if I listen to it, don't, and I get even sidetracked on that, but normally on FM it's almost, or it is always Christian music, you know, take care for what it's worth, but that's what I listen to. And this week, somehow or another, I hit a button, and it ended up at a radio station that I'd never listened to before. And I, before I knew it, I was listening to what was going on, and it's either confrontational Thursday or something on this radio station—some kind of weird deal. And I could tell you what radio station is, and I don't because I, but I won't. And has people call in, so. They can call in and ask the DJs I guess to make a phone call and confront the person they want confronted. This girl was calling in because her boyfriend that she now has that she really adores is a thumbsucker. But she doesn't know how to address it with him. And these guys are making this entertainment. I'm going what world have I just dropped off into? Is this what's going on at times? Is this really what's going on out there? That, that's what people are... Cons- have you ever been there? You just go, what did I just parachute into? Confrontational, th- or whatever it's called. I don't know if that's exactly it. What time is it? Where, where am I? Romans 13, 11, and 12 And do this, understanding the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor, the armor of light. We'll come back to that in a few weeks. Understanding the present time, wake up from your slumber. You know what time it is? The word there for time, the present time the word there for time is the word Chiron in that Greek. It means a divine time. It doesn't just mean it 's 2:30 in the. Packers and Cowboys are starting. It's not that kind of time. That is a time. But I hate to tell some of you, it's not a divine time. <laughs> Unless God, now yeah, I'm not saying God won't use it for his purposes. But when he uses the word there, time, he's talking about a divine time. The divine drama is happening. God is intersecting with mankind. December 13th, 1986. I've said a hundred times here to you guys the day I gave my life to the Lord at exit 199 in New Boston, Texas. It was a divine time. I don't know what time of day it was. I do know it was December 13th, 1986. Not sure what time it was, but I do know this it was Giron. It was a divine time, it was a clear moment. Some of you over the last two weeks have said this, haven't you? This time, it's going to stick. This time, I'm going to commit to it. And this time, I'm really going to do it. From your health, to your finances, to your relationships, to your spirituality. Now you're 15 days into it. And the Doritos are calling. <laughs> why, is it, why doesn't something healthy call you at 11 o'clock at night? You know what I'm saying? But it's Doritos <laughs> or whatever. Jay Cardi, some of you may know who Jay Cardi is. He's a Christian author and speaker and motivational speaker. He played basketball for the Lakers back in the 60s. But he wrote a book years ago called Playing with Fire, Do Nice People Really Go to Hell. That's so a great book to read. But it is actually a great book. But... Uh, but he's got, had cancer for quite a few years. Just got an email yesterday that he's been in remission for three years, but he's, the cancer is back. He found out this past week. But he sent out a deal last month in December in 2016 and said, uh, He's talking about, he says, I've said, he said, I've said one of the side effects of my cancer drugs is a ravenous appetite, water retention, and weight gain. The, fo- the following is what I'm doing about it. My goal for 2016 was to lose just 10 pounds. I only have 25 to go. I ate a salad for dinner, mostly croutons and tomatoes. Really, just one big round crouton covered with tomato sauce and cheese. Fine, it was a pizza. I ate a pizza. I just did a week's worth of cardio after walking into a spider web. So, I don't mean to brag. But I just finished my 14 day diet food in three hours and 20 minutes. (laughs) A recent study has found that women who carry a little extra weight live longer than men who mention it. We mean well, we have right intentions, right? Last week we read Matthew 26, and you can go back and listen to it if you want to. The scripture's not up there, but you most of us know the scripture where Jesus is, We're talking about in the garden with his disciples. He says, the spirit is willing, but the body or the flesh is weak. His disciples are like many of us. Just a few hours or just a few minutes before even, if you were to ask us, are you going to do this, we would have all said, no, 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 I'm strong enough. But there you are in the middle of it, letting it happen. The battle between our spirit, which is eager to do what is right. You're here today for the most part, I would say some of you are probably forced to be here. Some of you got mixed in the traffic and ended up here. I don't know. But you're probably here today to some degree because your spirit is, I want to do right things. That's probably why you're here. Be on guard against temptation, be on guard against doing things that would be harmful to yourself, harmful to other people. For the most part, your spirit is willing, but we live in this body where he's being drawn by the enemy, the, the enemy's desires of the enemy. With, that's where we are. And Jesus says to the disciples, and again, we talked about the anguish he was in. He's in his most desperate time. And he keeps asking them to stay awake and keep what? Watch. To keep watch. And he keeps coming back in their sleep. You know, the watch, the term watch is used in a lot of different ways, of course. Uh, it's used in, in military and even ancient days. There was times of the night that were certain parts of the watch when it was dark, you, you, you were up, you were, had a certain time aside to, assigned to you. Uh, it was initially three. The Romans made it to four watches, but you have those kind of watches. We have something that we watch where we witness something. We see it happen, we watched it, or we're a spectator. Some of you today are going to watch football. You're going to watch it. And there may be some emotional connection to it, but you're just going to watch it. You, if you didn't watch it, I'm guessing the same outcome will happen. Then there's the watch that I wear, a wristwatch. Look at it. best I can tell, it tells me what time it is. Unfortunately, I really usually don't know really what time it is in the scheme of God's plan, but at least I know what time it is as far as what we all reference to. But then there is the word that Jesus uses here for watch. Greek word here, gregario, or whoever you got. I, I butcher it. Like I've said before, I butcher most languages. But it means to give strict attention, to be cautious, active, alert, vigilant. I love this. Be cautious, but active. Strict attention, alert, Vigilant, not vigilante necessarily, but vigilant. That's the kind of watch he's talking about. So when we look at Scripture, and we see the term watch, we also see, especially in the Old Testament, we see the term watchman. So they were assigned to a certain part of the night to be on watch, right? They had a a certain window, whether it was 6 to 10 or 10 to 2 or whatever that was, and 2 to 6, whatever that may be. But they had a certain night assigned, and they were called watchmen. In our culture today, uh, we think of them as, uh, I mean, they could be security guards or, or, uh, or someone who, who protects things at night from certain things. But, we, but, but of course, we think of from, from firemen to policemen to, to doctors and nurses, those who are on watch that night. So if something, either one or military, for sure, on top of that, who are watching We can go to bed at night knowing. If we went to bed tonight and said, no firemen, no police officers, no medical staff are going to be up tonight, nothing may happen at your house, but you'd be concerned, right? If it just became an announcement, okay, but by the way, military's taking off tonight. So we go to bed at night with this good sense, right, to a major degree, that somebody's on watch. I used to work graveyard when i worked for texas instruments uh kind of a graveyard it was a three to three partly swing partly grave but then i worked for alumax for those years and it was all graveyard it was either 11 to 7 or it was 12 or 7 to 7 uh, at night p.m to a.m and and i'm going to tell you i didn't like it it's not my favorite thing to do is work graveyards to be up at that watch okay and thankful there are people that have been at least wired and God gives grace to be able to do those kind of things. You agree with that. You're glad that there's people out there that are able to do that. I'm just not really my deal. I can get up early. I can go to bed late. It's just those middle hours in there. I don't know about you, but those middle hours I'm I'm, I'm struggling. <laughs> Last night. How many of you here get irrigation at your your house? You know what? You know what how many know what irrigation and if you're from Arizona, uh, you, you probably have seen other people who get uh, their, their, uh, their, their irrigation, which is you go out, you open a big uh, pipe up, and it floods, flood irrigation, that's what I was looking for, flood irrigation, so it floods your yard. You don't necessarily have to have a sprinkler system, so that kind of just floods your yard, and you do that. Well, the problem is, in my neighborhood at least, and there's acre properties up to two acres, and then some one may, maybe four acres. The, the problem is, if you're on my side of the road, they schedule you when you're when your assignment is. Well, guess what? This thing is driving me crazy here. Sorry about that. Uh, uh, Last night, Jan calls me this week and goes, oh, guess when our irrigation is this week? It's at 1.20 a.m. to 3.50 a.m. Sunday morning. That's my favorite time (laughs) to be up. So, of all days, Sunday on top of that. I could do it other days, but Sunday. Why, Why does it have to be Sunday? But it was. So Jan... Did the first shift, okay? But she had Jacks, the big golden doodle, to go out, and our next door neighbor Monique has her big German Shepherd. So you're going out in the middle of the night. I said, Jan, you take first shift. I'll take second shift, which is the 3:50. I did. Woke up at 3:30, 3:40, uh, 3:35. Got up, went outside, turned mine off. My neighbor forgot to turn his open. Well, I can't turn mine off if his is not open. <laughs> I can get myself in a big heap of trouble, or I can just back it up and let my next door other neighbor just fill up till her trailer's floating. She's building a house right now, and it would probably have floated their trailer they're staying in right now for another three, or four hours. So I feel I got a problem. I can't turn mine off. My neighbor. I don't know who my neighbor. I don't know who's supposed to go to. So I go online. I'm looking for it. I go. S- somebody's. Somebody's got to be getting this. I find out it's a neighbor I've never really ever met, which is a bad time to figure out you've never met this neighbor at four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Okay, so, so, okay, here I am. I, I'm going back out there. It's ankle deep in water, okay. It's cold. It's three in the, four in the morning now. I'm shutting it off, thinking maybe they just opened theirs. Nope, nope, no. Nope. I had to like for 20 or 30 minutes. I'm doing this, going back and forth. So finally, I got online, figured out who it was. Then I got numbers mixed up in my head and actually names. So I go knock on these people's door at 4, 10 a.m. this morning. Got a headlamp on and a tool in my hand. And when they opened the door, I said, wake up from your slumber. (laughs) That's not what I said. (laughs) I said, I'm Kurt Gentry. I live right behind you. And she's, because they've got a security door. And I said, I think you guys are up. Were you sure? I said, yeah. The last name is Edwards. She goes, no, our last name is not, yeah, I won't say it. And I'm going, oh, man. I said, it's 64, uh, 14. She goes, no, ours is 18. I'm going, ah, okay, Sorry. I go back. I have no idea where I got Edwards from because I had their name right. I made this name up in my head at 4 o'clock in the morning. So I went back to their house. By the time I got back to their house, they were out there opening it up, and they were flooding their yard. So it's about... So I've been up since 3.30 this morning. Because <laughs> normally when I get up that time of night, I'm able to get up, go do it. Seven minutes later, I'm back in bed. Fifty minutes later, I'm getting back in bed. <laughs> On watch, you have responsibilities, don't you? On watch, you do things intentionally to make sure you don't miss your watch. Not on my watch is this neighborhood going to flood. (laughs) I didn't know what I was going to do because it was all coming in my yard. See, in ancient times, the, normally the watchmen were up on the wall. Many great cities had walls. Jericho, we know about that in Scripture. We know Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar. He built a wall so big. And I think he built three walls. He built a wall so big, it was 40 feet wide so he could race chariots around it. So it's massive walls. But they would post the watchmen up on the walls, right? So the watchmen, their, their main role was to make sure in the middle of the night they protected the town. Surprise attack. And they were also the ones the next day would announce the dawn of a new day. So they were up all night and they could go, people could go to sleep at night knowing that these guys were up. The Hebrew word for watchman, and I won't even try to pronounce it, but I'll give you the definition. It means to lean forward. It means to peer into the distance, to observe, behold, to keep watch. They would be literally peering into the distance. They knew, they knew they couldn't go to sleep, they knew they couldn't miss what was out there on the horizon. Yeah, hey, how's it going back there? <laughs> they knew they had to see as far out as they could see. They knew they had to have great eyesight. As far as they possibly humanly could see. And the more time you have to see that destruction is coming or the enemy is creeping in or a natural disaster is happening, the more time, the more high time you have to respond, right? To do right things. They were critical. What does any of this have to do with us? In the Old Testament, we see it way more talking about watchmen, and we'll talk more about that as the weeks go on. But in the New Testament, we don't see the word watchman as much, but watch and watchmen are referred to so many times more. 1 Peter 5, 8 it says, Humble yourself therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. Be alert and sober-minded with sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to divide. Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. Be self Controlled and alert. Be on point. Watch. The enemy is prowling around for those who are slumbering. Those who are sleeping. John 10:10, as you know, is my, fam- my, my family, my life verse. Where the thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. This is Jesus' words. The thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Have it to the full. But to steal, kill, and destroy. What is he coming to steal? What is he coming to kill? What is he coming to destroy? I can tell you right now, he's coming to to destroy relationships. He wants to destroy and put everything in the way that can destroy your relationship to God and to others. You've heard me say this over and over. If sin had a job, it would be separation. The enemy has come to separate. That is his job. Even if you're a believer who's going to heaven someday and you got that, the enemy is trying to push you away to separate you from a full-blown, being a full-blown follower of Jesus Christ. Even if you're going to heaven someday, not, he may have given up on that, but he's not giving up on your effectiveness. That's for sure. The challenge, though, most people don't even know what wall they've been called to be a watchman on. And even if they did, they wouldn't have the sight or discernment to recognize the enemy. Again, Kurt, what are you talking about? (laughs) few months ago we talked about Nehemiah and we used Nehemiah as the example of going out and riding the city at midnight to see the broken walls, to see what was going on. We used that as our uncommon weekend back in November as we drove around the city of Phoenix for a few hours looking at the places that we believe God would say this is, it's broken, it's broken. The social, social economic status didn't matter to that. It, we just drove around and saw the city for hopefully for the eyes that God would give us to see it and the heart that he would have for it. But Nehemiah, that's what he did. But the first thing Nehemiah did, as we know, is he heard about the broken walls of Jerusalem. When he was in a far-off country, he came back. Well, he wept. It broke his heart. He fasted. He disciplined himself. And he prayed and repented. Here Nehemiah is. Now Nehemiah is now in the city of Jerusalem. Now he's in Jerusalem. Now he's back to building the wall. He's own task of building the wall. They are in the middle of doing the work. And I want to read this passage of Scripture for you. But when Sabalat and Tobiah, the Arabs, the the Ammonites, and the men of Ashdod heard that the repair to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat, the watchman. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out and there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, if that's not bad enough, our enemy said, before they know it or see it, we will be right there among them and we will kill them and put an end to this work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us 10 times, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore, in other words, i took got all this information. Now I'm assessing and I'm discerning and I've got insight and I've got w- wisdom. Nehemiah says, Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posted them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I, after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, Don't be afraid of them. Remember The Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers and your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot, that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. If you read Nehemiah, you see six different times they tried to dissuade them. They tried to discourage them. Are any of you right now discouraged in what you're trying to do for the kingdom? Are you discouraged in that? Well, it's not anything new. It's always been going on, by the way, just so you know. I love these two passages of Scripture. In verse 7 says, The men of Ashdod, Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem walls had gone ahead and the gaps... Were being closed, and they were very angry. So what did Nehemiah do? Therefore, I in verse thirteen, therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, the exposed places where you're weakest. If I ask you to take two or three minutes right now and just across your mind's eye, just to go, where am I weakest? What are the spots that I know I am the weakest? Those are weak, weak spots for me. Those are weak spots for my family. Those are weak spots in our culture. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, the enemy is going to try to exploit that weakness. See, the enemy wants to make the gap in the wall bigger, not shrink it. And what happens with many of us, I'm just going to say, then we could talk a whole series just on this particular part of it. We may talk about it in our next series, talking about shadows. The enemy begins to break down gaps in our lives in those exposed places where he begins to build up strongholds where he almost goes unopposed. You've pretty well given up on that gap. You've come to the conclusion somehow or another in your mind because the enemy has lied to you that you will never get any better in this place. You will never get any better in this spot. So don't try to fix that spot. Fix the other spots, but just might as well leave this one alone because you'll never fix this one. Steve Furtick said in the, this week, I was listening to him, he said, I cannot ask God to protect me from that which I am running to. I cannot ask God to protect from that for which I am running to. There's a lot to breaking strongholds, and we're not even going to get into that today. Because I, it's way deeper than just a few minutes I can throw at it here, but I'm going to tell you, it is about taking captive every thought. it is in your mind and your heart. It is more than just wishing it. It's more than just saying, "I'm going to do better this year." It's more than that. The watchman has to be able to identify the gaps. That's the reason why when you say not on my watch, one of the things that the people who are going to begin to live that way have got to be looking at the exposed places. Or you'll never live there. You'll be too drained, too off. you'll be too sucked out to hear too much. You'll never, you'll go to sleep because you're tired of fighting it. You will be slumbering. One of the areas that I've been dealing with, I'm asking the Lord to help me with. Sometimes I go to the secular before I go to God's word, even in the morning. I'll listen to the news or I'll I'll look to what's going on in the world before I ask God what's going on in my real world. I'm asking God to help me with that. I'm more dependent on what's going on out there, which I could do nothing about for the most part, than getting inside of me what could make a difference, not only in my life, but the people around me. It's a challenge for me. I want to tell you, there's one reason why it's hard to be a full-blown follower of Jesus Christ as a lone ranger. I don't think you can do it, actually. Now, if God put you, allowed you, like he did Paul, to put you in a prison somewhere, I think God and the Holy Spirit will make accommodations for you to be alone. But outside of that, I don't think you're designed to be alone in this journey. And I don't think it's a hit and miss, here come, here come now. No, I think it's a real community where you've got to be involved in it. But here's the problem. Here's the way it seems to be, though. Let's go to Isaiah 56, 10 through 12. And God is about to rip into it. God is assuring the Israelites, I'm going to restore you. I am your God, but here's an issue I've got with you. He said, for the leaders of my people, the Lord's watchmen, his shepherds are blind and ignorant. They're like silent watchdogs. They give no warning when danger comes. They love to lie around sleeping and dreaming. Like greedy dogs, they are never satisfied. They are ignorant shepherds are all following their own path and intent on personal gain. Come, they say, let's get some wine and have a party. Let's all get drunk. Then tomorrow we'll do it again and have an even a bigger party. You can go home now. That's all I have. That's close with, no. Blind. None are so blind as those who will not what? See. You cannot make people pay attention to things that they are bent against paying attention to. If they've made a decision, they do not want to go there. I don't care what you do to get them there. They're blind to it. See, the guy sitting in the watchtower, I'll be honest with you. He's supposed to be keeping an eye out for the community, for the family, he's supposed to be keeping an eye out. If he's blind, we're in big trouble. Your family's in big trouble. See, a spiritual watchman is one who has been uniquely, uniquely spiritually given eyesight that's way beyond the natural eyesight. To be able to see not only in distance, but to see up close. Yeah, they're cheaters, they're ones. I got natural eyesight to see distance, I got natural eyesight to see up close. But oh man, I begin to follow. Up close, far away. Because if you're too busy looking out there, they may be climbing up the wall right now. (laughs) So you got to have both. And you got to have people on watch with you. Spiritual eyes to see what you couldn't see before. Spiritual ears to hear what you could have never heard before. Spiritual voice that's anointed to say what you had never said before. Spiritual feet to go to places you would have never thought about going before. To go behind enemy lines. But you won't do it. You will not do it. Well, you may do like the Israelites after they had already told God, uh, you know, these are like grasshoppers. We don't want to go into the promised land. These are like grasshoppers. We're like grasshoppers in their eyes. And God says, okay, you're going to wander in the wilderness. Oh, no, now we want to go. And they go, and what happens? They get spanked and sent home, don't they? You can try some things, but until you begin to be to see how God sees and to hear it how God hears and discern, which is the knowledge part of this. He says because of lack of knowledge. Are you trying to get your knowledge of what the Razorbacks and the Raiders and the Cardinals are doing first, like I do? I don't care what recruit Arkansas gets. I'm not sure it's going to make a hill of beans difference in how we impact the city of Phoenix. Yeah, I know National Signing Day is two weeks from Wednesday. You know that, don't you? It was to see on the horizon, but to see up close. And then when you see what you see... Have knowledge of what you just saw. Oh, a lot of people see things. You don't know how to make sense of what you just saw. Oh, a lot of us see what's going on in our culture with social media and and all the things that I've been watching and reading recently and the sciences are proving depression and all the things that go with that. But since we don't know what to do about it, we don't do anything about it for the most part. Simon Sinek, his book, Start With Why. Just recently, and some of you have seen the video online, but I want to read this about millennials. Millennials are people who were born 1984 and on for the most part. Maybe not if you're small children, but at least those high school and beyond to 84. He's talking about millennials in the workplace. He's on an interview. And he said, and so millennials are wonderful, idealistic, hardworking, smart kids who've just graduated, uh, who, who just graduated school or are in the entry-level jobs. And when asked, how's it going, they say, I think, I'm, I think I'm going to quit. And we're like, why? And they say, I'm not making an impact. Which we say, you've only been there eight months. It's as if they're standing at the foot of a mountain and they have this abstract concept called impact that they want to have on the world, which is the summit. What they don't see is the mountain. I don't care if you go up the mountain quickly or slowly, there's still a mountain. And so what does this young generation, what, what this young generation needs to learn is patience. That some things are really, that really, really matter, like love or job fulfillment, joy, love of life, self-confidence, skill set, any of these things, all of these things take time. Sometimes you can expedite pieces of it, but the overall journey is arduous and long and difficult. And if you don't ask for help and learn that skill set you will fall off the mountain. Or the worst case scenario we're seeing in an increase is in suicide rates in this generation. We're seeing an increase in accidental deaths due to drug overdoses. We're seeing more and more kids drop out of school or take a leave of absence due to depression. Unheard of, this is really bad. Mute. Mute. They're like silent watchdogs giving no warning when danger comes. They love to lie around sleeping and dreaming. And I realize there are many times we want to say, well, I don't want to offend anyone, or it's none of my business. And don't misunderstand me. I think there are times it is none of your business, matter of fact. And there are times you don't need to say anything, especially if you're not going to say it with discernment from the Spirit and with love and grace. But when the life of your family is at stake, and the life of your culture is at stake, you cannot keep quiet. I know we live in a PC culture. I get that. I get it. We live in a culture today, if you're not careful, they want to say to you, if you try to have a conversation, is I'm going to back you into that corner, I wanna, and if you try to come out of that corner, I'm going to shout you down again. Get in that corner and don't come out. And the agenda is not tolerance. The agenda is silence. That's the agenda. You can make it something else. But the agenda is silence. And unfortunately, too many of us are really comfortable being silenced. The job of the watchman is twofold. See, the enemy in his schemes... Sound the alarm. The leaders of Israel saw what was going on but said nothing. And as I look more into the word watching or watchman, it is, folks, it is an active word. It is not passive. It's not like watching a ball game, a spectator. It will require require deliberate effort, intentionality, getting some baggage off your life where you can go faster and move quicker. How do we do this? Well, one of the ways we're going to be working on at least a group of people or to the core group that will be a part of Uncommon is we're going to have these conversations around some of these things. We're going to talk about the lenses you look at life through. What caps you? What are those caps that stay on you? We'll talk about it in here too, but we're going to talk about it in more detail there. See, I believe every believer is called to be a watchman. A watchman upon the walls of your family. First, and your marriage, and your kids, if you have kids. Or if you're married. If not, it's your home, wherever you reside. I think you're called to be a watchman inside the church. Are we off track? Are we going Are so you called to be a watchman in your community. The question is, are you willing to be a watchman? <laughs> the question, question is, are you willing to prepare yourself in such a way where you're able to say, Not on my watch? Not on my watch. Mm-mm. 1993, when I got in youth ministry. we were just a few weeks into it and, or maybe a few months into it. Our youth group was about 30 or 40 kids and we're in Texarkana, Texas and got a call one afternoon, one Wednesday afternoon right before youth service and you know, i I've told you before, I didn't know what I was doing as a youth pastor. I just had a passion and a, and a drive and just tried to figure it out as I went and, I, and the Lord blessed it's all I can tell you. And I got a call from a mom, said, hey, Kurt, I, I don't know if, and his name's Jake, said my son, he said, Jake, He's one of our kids in our youth group. I knew he was in the children's hospital in Little Rock, and he was sick. She said, uh, the doctor just came in and said, they don't know if Jake's going to make it through the night. He had Rocky Mountain spotted tick fever and said, I don't know if he's going to make and Jake, if anybody who knows Jake, it's in his room. He's this strapping 6'4", athlete. I mean, he was just, he, was, he could jump out of the gym, as we used to say, and he was just this kid who was funny and, and she said, the doctor said, and his mom really wasn't a believer at the time, and she said, I, I don't know what to do. I just want you to know, and back then, you called on an office phone. She just happened to catch me. You know, nobody called you on the cell phone. She just happened to catch me in the office at that moment, right before you service, and I didn't know what I was doing. I just asked the Lord, you know, I just dropped to my knees right there in my office, and said, Lord, I don't know what to do with this. I mean, I just, I'll tell the kids, we'll pray here, and do a prayer, and and the Lord said, "No, I, I, there's somebody needs to be praying for the next 12 hours straight." So real quick, I drew up a piece of paper. It had 12 one-hour shifts of prayer. I went into that room, with those kids, 25, 30 kids. I said, "Guys, this is a deal. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do with this, <laughs> but I'm just going to ask you: Are you willing?" To fill in these blanks and to see 15, 14, 16 year old kids take up all 12 slots. I said, I'll pray every hour that there's not somebody praying. I ended up praying on my own because all 12 hours were full. Well, at 3 o'clock that morning, one of the guys that was praying said he just, he told me the next morning, it was just, just something happened. He didn't know what was going on, something happened. While he was praying, and can't explain it exactly, but he had spiritual eyes to see something happening. (laughs) I called Little Rock the next morning. It broke. At 3 o'clock that morning, something changed. Something flipped. The question obviously is, if we had not prayed at all that night, would it have flipped at 3 o'clock in the morning? Possibly. Chiron. It's a divine time. You call it what you want to. You can call it coincidence. You call it whatever you want to call it. Our youth group went from about 30 over that next year or so to about 100. <laughs> they saw it lived out. It stirred something in them in that moment that I think still has fumes to this day. <laughs> that you called to be on watch Psalm 4 23 says keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flows the springs of life there should be The wellspring of life, Jesus said, would bubble up from us, those who are called, those who are following, those who have stepped into this. Wake up from your slumber. You know what time it is. You know what time it is. Let's just stand. Y'all come back up. The exposed places, the blind, the lack of knowledge, the mute. We're going to do everything we can figure out to try to help those who want to figure it out. It may take us longer than we anticipate on some of it, but that is our intent to begin to fill in the gaps in the exposed places. It's gonna offer you to come this morning to these altars. I was talking to someone this week about how people make public commitments in public professions. We do it the hard way. Yeah, some weeks we may do a raise of hands, some weeks we may have people stand. We do it the hard way. We ask people to come down front and kneel. <laughs> There's a mountain that you've got to start climbing. And don't be like those who say, I, I don't see the mountain. I, I don't No, You need to see the eyes to see what that mountain looks like. So as you today, let me pray for us. And as you today decide what that means for you, let me encourage you. There are small steps of faith and there's big ones. Some of you need to take some big ones today and say publicly, I'm going to begin to work on this whole idea of watching. Be that person for my family, for my school, wherever that is. Let's pray. Lord, I ask you right now to help us. Help us understand this. Began to say what is on my watch you've posted me on the wall you've posted me on the wall Lord give me sight to see right now in a distance and up close the exposed places Lord to be everything you've called me to be help me now